There are many choices that we need to make in life. Some of these choices carry more weight than others. This message is the third in the series, The Power of Personal Choices. The message is entitled, Pray Through Your Pain. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. We're talking in this series of messages this fall about the power of personal choices. And I want to talk specifically today about how to pray through your pain. How do you deal with pain in your life? You know, your greatest friend or your worst enemy really is your choices. What choices you make in life will determine where you end up in life. If you want to improve your life, you improve your choices. To have a better life, better choices. And part of making a choice in life is, is recognizing that God gave you that gift. He gave you the gift of a free will, the ability to choose what you will do in life and then to experience the blessings of your choices or the consequences that come as a result of bad choices. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19, God laid out this idea of choices in this way. He said, This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. God says, I want you to make the right choices, the right choices about life. Choose life so that not only you will benefit, but your children will benefit as well. In this series of messages, we are looking at some big choices that are made by some very significant people in the Bible, particularly that center around the life of a man named Samuel. Samuel, Samuel was a prophet and priest in the Old Testament that came into the history of Israel at a very significant time, a time of Israel's transition. It was a time when Israel had really drifted away from God and didn't have any more prophets around. Nobody was really preaching the Word of God to anyone. And so nobody really knew how to live well, and they were not living well. And so God brings Samuel onto the scene, and Samuel transitions them into the time that they will now as a nation have their first king named Saul, and then will appoint the second king of Israel that all of us are very familiar with, a man by the name of David. So Samuel will become that prophet and priest that paves the way to the monarchy in Israel, a very, very important character in the Bible. And not only did Samuel make some important choices with his life, but some people around Samuel made some important choices as well, and that's what we're looking at as a part of our study today. Together, the power of personal choices. So far in the series, we've talked about the power of a personal choice to make a stand for God. That in your life, you're going to choose to live for God. Take that stand. And not be ashamed of that stand, to live for God day in and day out. And before the world around you, say, I am a follower of Jesus. And then we talk about the important choice of being a blessing. To say, I'm not going to just live my life for me, but I want to choose to be a blessing to the world around me. And last weekend, we talked about the importance of that. And as I said this weekend, we're talking about another key choice in your life. How do you handle your pain? And to understand today's lesson, as we're going to read in just a moment from 1 Samuel chapter 1, I need to give you just a little bit of a history lesson so you'll get sort of the frame of reference of the passage that we're studying together. Samuel, as I mentioned, was this important prophet and priest that came into existence in a very significant time in Israel's history. But Samuel obviously had a family, and Samuel's father was named Elkanah. And Elkanah was a man that loved God and served God to the best of his ability in his day and time, notwithstanding the ignorance that he had in certain areas of his life. But he, he sought to serve God and to be a worshiper of God. And then there's Hannah, who was Samuel's 
mother, and Hannah was loved dearly by Elkanah, but initially in the marriage she could not have any children, and so she was barren. And out of her barrenness, then Elkanah, to have kids in the family so that the family farm could operate, he actually married a second wife named Penina. He didn't love her, he just married her for the sake of kids. And so it's not in any way justifying polygamy, it's just an explanation of the fact that's why it existed in Israel's history at the time. So here are these three, Elkanah, Hannah, and Penina. Would you say that with me? Elkanah, Hannah, and Penina. Once again, Elkanah, Hannah, and Penina. Now you'd know some biblical history. Isn't that awesome? Okay. So anytime you hear Elkanah, Hannah, and Penina, you know exactly who they are. Now that being said, let's go into today's study. Chapter 1 of 1 Samuel, beginning in verse number 1. There was a certain man from Ramatham. A Zephite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, just talked about him, didn't we? Son of Jerom, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zeph, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Penina. There you go. See, there's your history right there. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Penina and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once when they'd finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. And she kept, as she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk. And said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I, I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. For I have been praying here out of my great ang anguish and, and grief. Eli answered, go in peace. And may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something. And her face was no longer down. The story of Elkanah, Hannah, and Penina, and ultimately the birth of Samuel. We're going to focus, as I said today, on Hannah's life and some pain that Hannah went through and how Hannah handled it in her life. There are three lessons that I want to give you as a part of the study together. Number one, we must remember that pain is a part of life. Pain is a part of life. You would say, well, pastor, this seems to be a very obvious statement. Everybody knows that pain is a part of life. But I have found that it does well for us to be reminded of that because sometimes we forget that pain is a part of the human existence. And every human, per every human being, there's not a single person, for example, here in this place this afternoon that does not have some kind of pain in your life right now. You are hurting somewhere. How do I know that? I know that because you're a human being. 
And as a human being, there's some place in your soul where there's something that doesn't feel quite right or something that feels broken inside of you, and everybody is hurting in some place. It was true in this story. Three people that we've talked about in the story so far, Elkanah, Hannah, and Penina. And all three of these individuals had pain in their life. Elkanah had pain. You know what Elkanah's pain was? He had two wives. It really was a pain. Because Penina was always picking on Hannah and trying to make her miserable. And there's all this tension that's going on in the family. And so Elkanah is in this position of having to referee all the family fights. And so there's always tension going on around him. And Penina is always causing trouble in the family. And Elkanah is trying to, Elkanah's trying to solve the pain for Hannah. And it's just a mess. It's a major family mess. And Elkanah is trying to just keep everything under control. So he's got some family pain in his life. How about Penina? Did she have any pain? Yeah, she had pain. What was her pain? Her pain was she had a husband that didn't love her. The Bible says that Elkanah loved Hannah. It doesn't say that he loved Penina. In fact, what we see from here is that evidently Penina was just sort of a utilitarian wife. She was there to produce kids and she wanted to be adored by her husband, and her husband had no time for her when it came to love. It was just about producing kids, and so she felt the deep pain and rejection of that. She wanted to be loved, and she wasn't loved. And Hannah had pain in her life, didn't she? What was Hannah's pain? Hannah's pain was the one dream, if I could have one thing, God, in my life. I have a husband that loves me, but I can't give him any children. I'm not able to give him a son. I can't produce offspring for him. And so she felt the pain of her barrenness. So all three of the people in this story are suffering with pain. And that's just a picture of the broader dimension of humanity. Every person here today, you have some kind of pain in your life. As I was preparing for the message yesterday and spending some time just in reflection and thinking about what I would share with you this weekend, reflecting on my notes and so forth, I took some time to write down some of the pain that people experience in life. I didn't bring the list with me, but I'll try to sort of remember some of the things that I wrote down, the pain of rejection. Some people go through life, and they've had really deep rejection that they felt, and they never seem to quite be able to shake it. Some, it's the pain of insecurity because of things they've gone through and experiences they've had. The trauma of life has left them very insecure. Others have gone through great abandonment. Maybe a father or mother abandoned them, or someone walked out on them when they really needed them. There are times in life when you have the, maybe it's the pain of grief, the pain of loss, that you had someone you love dearly and, and they're gone. Maybe they, they, they left by reason of death or maybe other things happen. Maybe there's a disappointment that happened to you. You expected something to transpire in a certain time or a certain way and it just didn't happen and you feel that way down in your soul. For some, it's the pain of guilt and shame. You did something and you've asked God a thousand times to forgive you. And yet somehow you have a little moment where you feel forgiven and then that old pain of unforgiveness comes back again, that pain of guilt and shame in your soul. Some, maybe it's the pain of hopelessness. You just don't know if there's much hope for your life. I could go on and on talking about all the different kinds of pain, but what I will say to you today is that every person here, you have some pain in your life right now. I know that because you're a human being. And if I were to hand out pieces of paper to you right now and ask you, write down your deepest pain. If you gave some time, some of you could write it down immediately. If you gave some time to it, I would imagine that most everyone could write down something on that piece of paper saying, yep, there's my pain point in my life. I have some pain. 
It's a part of the human existence. It's a part of what we go through. Everybody has a pain story in their life. The second thing that we learn from this lesson of Hannah today, and these verses that we've just read a moment ago, is that your deepest pain is often the pathway to God's greatest plans for your life. If you don't get anything else I'm going to share with you today, I hope that you'll get this point. It's a very important point because it can change your entire perspective on everything in life. That your deepest pain, whatever it might be, what that thing is that you wrote down or would have written down on a piece of paper, that deepest pain in your life can often be the pathway to God's greatest plan for your life. I want you to listen to verse number 6 of 1 Samuel chapter 1 once again as we see this, this real pain point for Hannah. It says, and her rival, that's Hannah's rival, also provoked her, provoked Hannah severely. So that's Penina that's provoking Hannah to make her miserable. Now notice this phrase, because the Lord had closed her womb. Think about that for a moment. Because the Lord had closed her womb. What, what does that mean? Does that mean that Hannah had done something wrong and that God was punishing her, that God was making her life miserable because of something she had done wrong? No, it doesn't mean that at all. What it means is this. It means that God was establishing a circumstance and had established a circumstance in Hannah's life to accomplish a greater purpose and plan in her life that Hannah could not yet see. She has this pain She's dealing with this problem. It's hurting deeply. But God sees beyond the immediate moment of her pain to a point where this pain is going to be the very thing that will lead her to an incredible plan. And what is the plan of God for Hannah? That Hannah ultimately will be the one who will bring Samuel into the world. But the only way that's going to happen is that out of her pain, she's going to learn how to pray at a deeper level. And out of that prayer, there'll be the birthing of God's plan. But there had to be the re reality, the acceptance of the fact that my problem right now is God's set up in my world to bring me to a miracle moment. My deepest pain can be the pathway to God's greatest plan. For you and I to walk through life that way and to believe and trust that our pain points can be a pathway to God's plan, there's some things you have to know and trust about God. I'm going to give you two words. These are not on your notes, but I would highly recommend that you write them down and think about them. The first thing you need to know about God and trust in God, if you're going to walk through your pain to His plan, you have to trust His character. You have to believe that God really is good, that He's never bad, He's always good. You've got to believe that God is, is just and God is kind and that God is loving and that God is righteous. That means that He always does the right thing, that God always does whatever He does well, that He never messes things up. He fixes things. He doesn't mess things up. And so you have to believe in the character of a good and loving and kind and gracious and merciful God, that even though in this moment He doesn't feel that way in your pain, you know that God is that way because it's His character. And then you also know something else. You trust His sovereignty. So it's His character and His sovereignty. What do we mean by sovereignty? Well, if you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life today, if you've given your life to Christ, 
and you're seeking to follow Him and serve Him with your life, you can trust that God is in control of your life. That even when you cannot feel Him, even when you cannot see His hand at work in you, you can know that God is there working even in the times when He seems invisible, when He seems to not be saying a single thing to you. God never leaves you and God never forsakes you. He's the sovereign God that rules over all in your life. You can trust Him. Okay? So you trust His character. You trust His sovereignty. Amen. I was looking over my life again yesterday in reflection of today and just thinking about this message. It really touched me deeply as I was just thinking about it yesterday in my own life and just looking at the time of my life and the time that I met Jesus as a young kid and walking through all the stuff that you walk through in school and high school and college and graduate school, all those things that you, you do in life. And sometimes in life, you just don't really feel God's very nearly near, near, near to you. You ever had those moments where, God, where are you? You ever had that moment in your life? You never had that moment? couple of you have? Okay, good. rest of you, wow, you guys are amazing. Okay, we, you guys are much more spiritual than I am, okay? But there are moments where you just can't feel God's presence always, and there are times you can't see what God's up to. What are you doing in my life, God? I don't seem to see you doing anything. But what I'm learning and have learned is that when I get past those times, I look in hindsight, I can see that all through those years, this little thing here and that little thing there and that little relationship there and that little situation that occurred here and that opportunity that was given to me there. All those things were God and His sovereignty weaving the pathway of my life. And even when I could not see Him or feel Him, He was still at work in my life. And even in the moments of my pain points, and I've had them in my life as well as we all do, that even going through those pain points and looking back saying, God, somehow you brought me out of that pain to a place of blessing in my life, and you turned my pain into a blessing. You turned, as it's been said, my scars into stars. Amen? And you have to trust that God is a God of character. He's a God of sovereignty. That's what the Apostle Paul understood about God. In Romans chapter 8, verse 28, he writes these words. Why don't we read this together aloud and loudly? Here we go. And we know that all things and all things, God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. Paul said, I've learned something about God. I know this, not in my head, but I know it way down here in my heart. I have a revelation of this thing that in all things, God is working not for bad, but for the good of those that love him, those that are called according to his purpose. It was this understanding that led Paul through the painful points in his own life. Think about one of those painful points. He had many, but one of those painful points was when, when Paul was put in prison in Rome. It was a very unpleasant place to be. And here is Paul, a man who could have been out preaching the gospel and planting churches and doing incredible things for the kingdom, and he's locked up in a prison cell in Rome. Doesn't seem to be the best use of his time, does it? And I think all of us would agree that very easily God could have gotten him out of that situation, right? Right? Are, are prisons a problem to God? No. Think about the Philippian jail. When he was locked up there, all God did was send an earthquake and Paul went free. Okay? So prisons aren't a problem to God, but now God has him in the Roman prison and he leaves him there. Why does God let this wonderful man of God stay in prison? I'll tell you why. Because Paul said, I know all things are working together for the good of them that love God are called according to his purpose. God said, I've got you where I want you right now because I'm going to give you some time to pray and think and meditate. It was from those, that prison cell that 
Paul wrote what we call the prison epistles, the prison letters. One of those is the book of Philippians. Now, here are some verses you'll find in the book of Philippians. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God your needs and don't forget to thank Him for His answers. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will comfort and guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. My God will supply all of your needs according to His riches and glory. Those are words that came from the pen of the Apostle Paul. When? When he was in that Roman prison, God said, This pain that you're in right now will be something that will birth a plan in your life. I will use you in 2,000 plus years later. People will still be quoting what you said and wrote in those moments. Why? Because he didn't let the pain destroy him. He let the pain become the pathway to God's great plans for his life. How about John the Apostle? Anybody remember a great Apostle John? He's moving toward the latter part of his life, and in the latter part of his life, he is exiled by one of the Roman emperors into, onto the island, island of Patmos, just isolated. And Paul, excuse me, John writes in the book of Revelation chapter 1 that he is exiled because of his testimony of Jesus on the Isle of Patmos. But he says this, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. So I tell you what, you can, people can put you in a bad place, but you can find your way to the good place, right? He said, I was in this bad place called Patmos, but it didn't keep me out of the Spirit. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And there he received this incredible revelation that you find all throughout the chapters of the book of Revelation. Why? Because again, John did not allow his pain moment to destroy him. It became the pathway to God's plan for his life. Anybody love King David? Don't you love him? I love King David. Do you love Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Do you know when David wrote those words? He wasn't sitting in the Marriott Resort when he wrote those words, okay? Most likely he wrote those words whenever he was facing the rejection and the pain of his very own son, Absalom, trying to take the kingdom away from him. And David had to leave Jerusalem, walking across the Kidron Valley. On the way out, he's weeping with tears, knowing that his son's trying to take the kingdom from him. And somewhere in that season of time when his son was rebelling against him, he wrote those words, the Lord is my shepherd. Even his very own son wanted to kill him and put David to death so he could rule and take the place of David. And that's when David said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. See, that beautiful psalm that we love so dearly today, how did, how did it end up in our world? How did it end up in the pages of Scripture? Because David did not let his pain destroy him. He let his pain be a pathway to God's plan for his life. Such an important decision for you and me that we say, you know what, I'm not going to let my pain destroy me. I'm going to let my pain be my pathway to God's plan. Amen? Let's go to my final point today. Third point is this. 
And really, I've already said it, but I want to say it in these words. Your response to your pain matters. I just want to kind of capsule what I've just said to you in that one phrase. Your response to your pain really matters. The only way, the only way that your deepest pain will become a pathway to God's greatest plan is by the response you have to it. It's the power of personal choice. What's the title of this series? The power of personal choices. So here's where the choice thing comes in. Okay? While God is willing to work in the situation, you, you, you bring something to the table too. You have a responsibility in your life. And the responsibility is, how will I handle this myself? What will I do in the midst of this? How will I handle my pain? What choices will I make when I'm hurting? And let's go back to Hannah for a moment. I'm not going to read this passage for you, but I will tell you what's going on in the verses we read a few moments ago. Here is Hannah. She's at Shiloh, and Shiloh is the place of worship. So she has come to the place of worship. The sacrifices have been offered. Elkanah and Penina have left and exited, and there is Hannah. She's left there, and the only one, as far as we know, that is still in the atmosphere of the tabernacle is the priest by the name of Eli. And Hannah is in such pain because because she's wanting a child so badly. She's hurting so deeply. She's being persecuted by Penina so persistently. And yet in this moment, in the midst of her pain, she cries out to God. And listen, folks, her cry was so deep. Her pain was so deep. She was praying in her heart and, and her lips were moving, but she was inarticulate. She could not even speak the words. And perhaps that was because of a desire for privacy, but perhaps it was because she could not even get the words out. Have you ever been in a place in your life that you were hurting so deeply that you could not even get the words out. And she's crying as well. And so not only is there this inability to articulate what she's trying to say in her heart with the pain that's going on, but she's profusely shedding tears. And her tears are prayers to God as well. So she's in this moment of deep supplication and intercession and crying out in the midst of her pain. And here comes Eli. And what did Eli think? And can you imagine you're crying to God and then comes along the priest and says, are you drunk? I mean, this is, this is a bad preacher, amen, okay? Don't go to Eli's church. I just say, okay, don't go to Eli's church, okay? Hannah didn't have a choice, okay? But this guy is so out of it. By the way, he deserves a sermon of himself. I'm going to talk about Eli later, okay? He gets a whole 30 minutes, 45 minutes, okay, in this series, but Eli doesn't even get it. He doesn't understand what she's going. That's how lacking in spirituality he was, okay? He couldn't understand that she was in pain. But finally, she explains it to him. And I'm not drunk. And it's not going on like you think. And he finally gets, oh, you're praying. I've got it now, okay? And there in that moment, as she's been praying, something important happened. She gets to the place in her prayer where she makes a vow to God. Remember the vow she made? Anybody remember the vow? What was the vow? God, if you'll give me a son, what, what did she say she would do? Help me out, come on. I'll give him back to you all the days of his life, right? Give me a son, he won't even be mine. I won't even claim him. I just want to be used by you to accomplish your plan. It's no longer about my pain, God. It's really about your plan. Okay. You see the difference there? She had to pray her way to that vow of giving her will. We'll talk about that in a moment to God. 
And now, out of that, Eli agrees with her in prayer and proclaims a priestly blessing upon her. And she realizes that God has spoken to her and that she has been promised a son. And she leaves in joy. Listen, she entered in pain. She left in joy. Okay? She entered God's presence in sadness. And she left with merriment of heart, with expectation of what God was going to do. I am so glad we have a God that turns things around, aren't you? You can come in one way and go out another, okay? You can come to church this afternoon and you could have come in with all kind of burdens in your heart and pressures on your life and you can leave as free as a bird. Isn't that great to know? Because you've been in the presence of Almighty God. It makes a difference to be in God's presence, okay? She had her moment with God. Now, I'm going to wrap all this up by helping you. Remember I said that your response and your pain matters, right? Correct? Help me out? Okay. You guys know I'm talking to you, right? You do. Your response and your pain matters, right? Makes a difference, correct? So I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give you five things never to do when you're in pain and seven things to do when you are in pain. Don't do and do. Say it with me. Don't do. Do. Oh, you guys help me out. Don't do and do. Let's read them together. Are you ready? First of all, don't do. Number one, don't pretend you don't. Feel it. When you're going through pain, don't act like it's not there. If you're feeling pain, tell God you're in pain. You've got to get real with God before there's going to be a real working of God in your life. Get real with God. So be honest with Him. Number two, make God, don't make God your enemy. God is not against you. God is for you. Thirdly, don't waste time and energy complaining. Nowhere in this story will you see Hannah running around and complaining to everybody about her circumstance. She took her complaint directly to God. She brought her appeal to God. She's not telling all of her friends how bad her life is, how miserable things are. She goes directly to God with her issues. Number four, don't read with me, waste time and energy comparing. Don't we do that? You look at what you're going through and you start looking at what other people other people seem to be facing in their life. You say, God, why does it happen to me? Why do I always have all the problems? Well, it seems like they're just doing so good. And look at me. I'm just always having stuff going on in my life. And why me, God? I bet you've never prayed that prayer, have you? Why me, God? You know what makes it worse in our culture today? Social media. Because in social media, have you ever noticed that no one ever, pay, ever posts their miserable experiences on Facebook? They don't. It's like, had a horrible today, day to day. Nobody loves me. Here's my post for the day, right? Pictures of me. But no, they post all the great vacations they've taken, all the wonderful restaurants they eat at, all the amazing things they're doing. You're looking and say, wow, they do all that. My life is really boring, okay? Right? You see all this? And finally, say, my life is so boring. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go buy some pictures and post them up there so it looks like I'm doing something, right? Okay? Right? And before long, you're measuring your life against... We actually, in our culture today, we have something called Facebook depression. No, I'm serious, okay? You guys know this? I'm not sure the technical name for it, but it's something like the Facebook depression because people are getting depressed just reading all the wonderful things that everybody else is doing. I'm going to give you a clue. They're lying. Okay? <laughs> Their life is not always like that, Okay? And if you find that social media just continually pulls you down, let me tell you, get off of it. Amen? Okay? Your soul health is worth a whole lot more to you than how many friends you have on Facebook, right? Okay? Is your soul health more important to you than that? Okay? 
And you could probably do something better with some of that time anyway. Okay? So stop comparing yourself because you always are going to be the loser. Anytime you compare yourself with someone else. The next one is don't. Five, become a bitter, angry, disillusioned person with poison thoughts and attitudes. Now just look down your notes. Let me read this again. Don't become a bitter, angry, disillusioned person with poison thoughts and attitudes. Pain can do that to you. Don't let that become you. I know people who have become just like that. I know their names. They're not here today. They go to another church, but I know them, okay? <laughs> Don't let that happen to you. Now, what do you do in times of pain? Let's read these seven things together. Number one, be honest about it. Number two, take your pain to God and genuine, fervent, continued prayer. Thirdly, enlist the help of others who pray. Find you some prayer partners in your life when you're going through pain. Don't find someone to complain to. Find someone who will pray with you and ask God to help you. Number four, remember that God is your friend, your helper, your heavenly father. You have a friend that sticks closer to you than a brother. You have a helper. You have a heavenly father. And then number five, surrender your will to God's will. That was the turning point, I believe, for Hannah. When she got to the place of being able to pray this prayer, saying, God, if you will give me a son, I will not lay claim to him. I will give him to you. It will never be about me. I think prior to that, that time, it had been about Hannah. I want a boy because I want a boy. I want a boy because it's about me. I want to fulfill this desire for my life. But there came a turning point when she said, God, now I don't want it for me anymore. I just want it for you. And I promise you if, you, if you answer this prayer, it will be to your glory. It will be to your end. When you and I get to that place in life, you see a lot of breakthroughs transpiring. Number six, trust God's nature, promises, ways, and timing. Trust God not only with his nature and promises and ways, but also trust God with his timing. How many years had Hannah gone to Shiloh? The Bible says year after year. We don't know how many years, but year after year. But here's the beautiful thing. I believe that Hannah kept coming because she believed one year is going to be my year. One worship service is going to be my worship service. One moment is going to be my miracle moment. It may not be today. Maybe it'll be next Sunday or maybe it'll be the next Sunday, but I'm just not going to miss it because I'm going to be consistent year after year after year. My miracle may not come in today, but I know that it's coming in at some point in time so year after year after year God I'm going to wait on your timing in my life surrender to God you trust his timing and you keep on living and giving you know some people when they're going through pain they just sort of pull into their world and they shut the curtains and live sort of in a cave environment don't do that just when you're hurting you just keep on living you keep on giving because you live your way through your pain and you give your way through your pain and I promise you'll get beyond your pain. And your pain, as I've mentioned, will be the pathway to God's greatest plan in your life. Let me conclude with 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 20. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. She left that day, she left Shiloh, and she went away with joy, knowing that the priest had proclaimed blessing upon her, and she's trusting and believing, and knowing that God is going to, has answered her prayer, and that she's going to have a child, a son. 
So she, she has the joy, the, the promise of that. And in the course of time, she becomes pregnant and gives birth to a little boy. And when that little boy is born, she says, you know, we've got a name in Elkanah. And here's the name I'd like to give him. I want to call him Samuel. Samuel. Why Samuel? El, the suffix of that name, El is the name for God. El Shaddai, Elohim. It refers to God. And so Samuel means I ask of God. God answered my prayer. So every time that I call the name Samuel, it will be an, a, a recognition of the fact that God took my pain and through my prayer, God answered. And that little boy is the testimony of how God can take pain and problems and bring about an incredible plan. So every time, he, every time the name was called Samuel, 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 it was a testimony to the fact that our great God can take your pain, whatever it is, and in the midst of your pain, if you'll respond and make the right choices with it, as Hannah did, to pray your way through it, then God can make that into a great purpose and his plan for your life. How many of you thank God for Hannah and thank God for Samuel. Amen. I'm going to conclude the service today a little bit differently. So if you would not mind just to put away your, your materials, and your Bibles, your teaching sheets, just whatever you have in your hand for a moment. Because we're going to have a little bit of time of prayer here just for a bit. Because I really felt uh, prompted by the Holy Spirit yesterday. I really felt God dealing with my heart yesterday afternoon as I was getting ready for this weekend. And not that he doesn't do that regularly, but just there was something unique about this weekend. And what's unique about this weekend, I believe, is this. I believe that God wants to heal some people. I really do believe that God is a healer. I don't have any doubt about it. I know God heals, okay? I've seen God heal people's bodies. I've seen God heal people in their soul. And today, I'm not so much talking about healing of physical bodies, although certainly God can do that in your life as well. But I believe that God is here today. He's always here, but I believe that God has a purpose in a very unique way today to begin to heal some people on your inside. And when God shows up to do something in your life to heal you, there's only one thing he asks of you, okay? He doesn't ask you for emotion. You don't have to feel a thing. God never said, I heal those who feel good about it. No. There's only one thing required for you to experience anything from God. It's not emotion, it's faith. That's the only thing, faith. Faith is what activates and works. God, uh, makes a pathway for God to work in your life. Faith says, God, I believe you. So I'm not sure if I have faith. To, yes, you do. You would not be here today if you didn't have some level of faith. The fact that you got up from your house today and drove to this church is an indication that there's some kind of faith already inside of you. So you are a person of faith. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are a person of faith. Go and tell them, you're a person of faith. Come on, affirm that in a meaningful way because I want this to settle in your heart. You are a person of faith. You're a person of faith. Amen? The Bible says you don't have to have a lot of faith. Faith like a little grain, a mustard seed, can move a mountain. If I had a mustard seed in my hand and I've held them before and I held it here, chances are by the second row you would not even be able to see it. It's that small. 
God says, just a little bit of faith and I can do incredible things. So you are people of faith. There's plenty of faith in this room. And there's plenty of faith in you to, to receive from God whatever you need to receive from Him today. Thanks for joining us for today's message. I trust that you've heard something from God's Word that'll make a difference in your life now and forever. Maybe as you were listening to today's message, God began to speak to you about a personal relationship with Himself. You know, the most important thing we can ever establish in our life is a relationship with God, and we do that by opening our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, today is your day. It's your opportunity. And I want to lead you in a prayer right now that you can pray that will forever change your life, that will allow your name to be written in the book of life for eternity. All you need to do is simply pray this prayer with me and mean it in your heart. If you'll mean this prayer, God will hear you. The Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So would you pray with me right now? Whisper these words to God or speak them out right where you are. Say, Jesus, just mention his name. Say, Jesus, I admit to you today that, that I am a sinner and I'm sorry, God, for everything I've done wrong. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are God's Son, the Savior, the Redeemer. I thank you that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again. I believe in you, Jesus. And then whisper this prayer. Say, Lord, today I invite you to come into my life, to forgive me of my sins, to give me a brand new start in you. I give my life to you today in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for those that prayed that prayer with me and I ask that now they would continue to grow in you and serve you faithfully from this day forward in Jesus' name. If you just prayed that prayer with me, friend, I want you to know that Jesus Christ heard you, that your name has been written in that wonderful book of life and that now today you start a brand new life in Christ. And to do so, you need some help. You need to learn how to live your life for Jesus every day. And we'd like to provide for you. In fact, we have available for you some resources that you can get from our website, church-redeemer.org, that will help you to get a good start in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So again, check out the website, church-redeemer.org. Find those resources that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to www.church-redeemer.org slash new beginnings. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.